It's Friday, September 20th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Aliens have been in the news a lot recently. An internet campaign to storm Area 51 has been getting a lot of press, and the Navy just confirmed the authenticity of declassified videos that show unidentified aerial phenomena. Lydia Saad, researcher at Gallup, joins us to discuss their latest survey on Americans' thoughts on UFOs. Most Americans are skeptical, but they say the government knows a lot more than they're letting on. Next, vaping-related lung illnesses continue to surge as the FDA has disclosed that its enforcement arm is conducting a parallel investigation with the one that's led by the CDC. Officials now say that at least 530 people in 38 states have fallen ill due to vaping. While the ultimate cause is still unknown, the focus seems to be on black market vaping products. Lena Sun, reporter for The Washington Post, joins us for more. Finally, a whistleblower complaint has triggered a tense showdown between Congress and the intelligence community. The complaint involves President Trump's communications with a foreign leader and an alleged promise that he made. Caitlin Oprisco, reporter at Politico, joins us for more on this whistleblower allegation that was deemed a credible and urgent concern by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So we asked people questions about whether they have seen UFOs, whether they believe they're real, whether they think the government is hiding anything, all sorts of things that are related to this Area 51 phenomenon. Joining us now is Lydia Saad, researcher for Gallup. Thanks for joining us, Lydia. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about aliens. Aliens have been in the news a lot recently, most notably this whole internet hoax thing that started on Facebook called Storm Area 51. Let's see them aliens. Millions of people have signed on to this Facebook group to storm Area 51, to show up at Area 51 and you know, in hopes to see aliens, see what the government has hidden there. It's all very fun, but Actually, the two little desert towns that are located right near Area 51 have this mixed emotions of excitement and fear because they don't know how many people are going to turn out. But there at Gallup, you guys conducted a survey about people's attitudes on UFOs, what they believe about UFOs. Lydia, tell us a little bit about that. So Gallup has asked about UFOs for a few decades now on and off. And, you know, it's a topic that some people might think is beneath Gallup, you know, but we actually think it's a very serious issue of what America, it taps into what Americans think is going on in the, in the universe and uh, all sorts of important things. So we asked people questions about whether they have seen UFOs, whether they believe they're real, whether they think the government is hiding anything, all sorts of things that are related to this Area 51 phenomenon. Two-thirds in the United States say that the government knows more than they're saying about UFOs. And that leads us kind of right into what this whole Storm Area 51 thing was about. Obviously, it was a hoax started by a guy, but it captured the imaginations of so many people that really do believe that the government knows more than they're letting on. So it definitely is tapping into that skepticism about government. For the record, I mean, we find two thirds today saying that the government is hiding something. We asked in 1996 about the same percentage said that then. So this is a perennial belief. It's not like suddenly Americans are concerned, but there's a baseline skepticism toward the government that makes this kind of a program appealing to a certain segment of the public. What about individuals, people? How do they feel about UFOs? Well, that's where it gets interesting. So yes, two thirds say the government is hiding something. 
And we also ask a question, you know, do you think when people see UFOs, they're seeing something real? And a majority say yes to that. But then when we say, do you think that UFOs are actually alien spacecraft visiting Earth from other planets or that all UFO sightings can be explained by something else, such as human activity or natural phenomenon? And there we get only a third, 33% saying that some UFOs are actually alien spacecraft. Most of the rest say it's something else, something that can be explained by human activity. And then you get a residual, you know, a little bit are unsure. So far fewer people out there actually believe in UFOs and think the government is hiding something. Piggybacking off of that, there was this recent report about these three allegedly declassified videos showing U.S. Navy pilots trailing some unidentified flying objects. These videos are a little older, but there was a spokesman for the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Information Warfare who actually confirmed that these videos are authentic They were not supposed to be released. There was some flub in paperwork or whatnot, but it shows what they call unidentified aerial phenomenon. That's kind of their new term for UFOs. So there is some quote unquote evidence about this. So that's why I love these topics in these conversations, because they lend themselves to your imagination going wild. You guys at Gallup were learning exactly what part of the country also experiences or thinks they see these alien spacecraft more. It's happening more on the West Coast than it is on the East Coast or in the South. So we can break out our respondents by four regions of the country, east, midwest, south, and west. So the west is more than just the coast. It would include Arizona and Utah and some of these places where these military installations are. And there we find 41% in the west saying that some U.S. UFOs are alien spacecraft. That compares with only 27% in the midwest and about a third in the east and the south. So you have four in 10 people in the west holding that view, which is notable. And then they are also more likely in the west to say they have personally seen something they believe was a UFO, 20% versus closer to 12 to 15% everywhere else. So the West is definitely more of a hotbed for UFO <laughs> theories. Yeah. I, I live on the I live on the West sides also. So that's, a, that's <laughs> an interesting. I'm going to have to start surveying all of my friends to see what they come up with. One of the other interesting uh, things that you guys found were Americans with no religious affiliation are more likely to put stock in UFOs, 40% saying they believe in some type of alien visitors. A little bit. So 40% with no religion, but it's still about a third of those who are either Protestant or Catholic or some other Christian religion, which some might say would be contradicting religious beliefs. But you've got a third of Christians saying they think some UFOs are alien spacecraft. But yes, it's higher among the non-religious at 40%. This is one of those conversations that is really never going to go away. People's imaginations are always going to take them away on this thing. Obviously, movies and TV help with all this. Lydia, give us the bottom line on what you guys learned in this latest survey. So clearly there is an underlying percentage of the public that believes that UFOs are real foreign visitors, the foreign in the uh, UFO version of the word. And that's okay. I mean, there's reason to believe it. I think these stories about the government videos are fascinating to read about. But you have just as many people who say, yeah, the government's hiding something, but these aren't really aliens. You know, the government's probably covering up military secrets or they aren't sure and they don't want to alarm the public. So there's just as many people who are skeptical of the government, but for other reasons. And then you have another third who are like, what's this all about? I don't believe in aliens. The government's not covering anything up. You're all crazy. So that's how we kind of break down camps of thirds on UFOs, if that makes sense. (laughs) Lydia Saad, researcher for Gallup. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Anytime.
my whole body was inflamed. My inflammatory markers were really high. Um, and they were wondering if there was, I was going to have a heart attack, but I was too young for a heart attack. That was the first thing. And then they wondered if I had lupus because they just didn't know what was going on. Joining us now is Lena Sun, reporter covering health at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Lena. Thank you for having me. We have some updated numbers on all these vaping-related illnesses that the CDC have been looking into. The latest numbers we have are 530 people that have come down with something in 38 states. Lena, tell us what's been going on with these investigations by the CDC. These illnesses have been appearing all of a sudden, mostly in young and healthy people who have been hospitalized with really severe acute lung illnesses. And many of them have been put on ventilators. They cannot breathe. Doctors tell me that actually, if it weren't for the fact that they were so young and healthy, we would have seen more deaths. There have been seven confirmed deaths. Today, the CDC gave an update. They are leading this investigation along with the FDA, and a couple of things were disclosed. Number one is that shortly after these illnesses began earlier in the summer, the FDA's law enforcement arm, its Office of Criminal Investigations, has been pursuing a parallel investigation to look at illegal activities involving FDA-regulated products. So the FDA regulates e-cigarette devices and those devices are used to vape nicotine and other substances, including THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. And the big focus seems to be on the black market vaping products, more closely tied to THC vaping products. They think that there might be some unknown oils or things that are used as filler when they put it into the cartridges, and that might be the culprit. Although they still don't know at large, that seems to be an area of focus. They have been very careful in saying that they haven't identified any single substance or product that has been consistently used by every person who has gotten sick. And when you have a case like this, you have to try to figure out, like, what are the, some of the common elements? So the initial data shows that most people had a history of using e-cigarette products containing THC, that many people used both nicotine and THC, and then some people used only nicotine. And... Of the folks who used THC products, many bought their products on the black market. And that is where I think the focus is going to be. They don't come out and specifically say that, but the office that's involved now is looking at illicit activity. One of the things that they've found in some of the samples that they've been testing is vitamin E acetate, which is an oil that's derived from vitamin E. And while it's safe to ingest this as a supplement or a capsule or something like that, they don't know the effects really of when you aerosolize it and inhale it. And they think that that could be one of those things. I think uh, some of the people that have gone to the hospital, they found like higher concentrations of oils and fat or something in their lungs that kind of leads them in that direction to this vitamin E acetate. The New York State labs had found it first and they found it in samples they had collected from people who got sick in New York State. But then the FDA began finding that in samples of THC products, and they are getting their products from across the country. And doctors who have treated some patients have found these cells in the lungs that are a type of immune cell where they basically surround any kind of lipid or fatty molecule and try to break it down. But they can't do that. Those cells aren't able to do it, and they have to call in reinforcements. And over time, the lung cells build up and 
the person cannot move oxygen from the lungs into the bloodstream, which is why they have difficulty breathing. One of the big concerning elements about this is you keep hearing this is affecting people, younger people. We do know a little bit more about that now. More than half of these cases are people under 25, and they're mostly men also. And today the CDC gave us a little bit more demographic breakdown. So boys and men make up three-fourths of the patients, and two-thirds of the patients are between 18 and 34, and 16% are younger than 18. There's been a lot of reporting about one patient in particular in Illinois. He's an 18-year-old kid. The doctors told him he has the lungs of a 70-year-old. So, I mean, that could be really concerning that he's 18 and his lungs seem to have been in that much distress just from doing this. Have doctors or the CDC, anybody said anything about long-term effects? As you mentioned early on, they're lucky that they're so young that they can recover from this. But what do we know about long-term effects? They don't know about long-term effects. They didn't even know for a long time, whether this was something that was a new or newly recognized disease or something that had been happening before that they hadn't detected, a series of papers were published in the New England Journal of Medicine last week where clinicians and officials put their heads together and sketched out a portrait based on the cases that they have already. And they all believe that this is a new or newly recognized pulmonary disease associated with vaping. Now, vaping refers to when you aerosolize and inhale this liquid. And people have been worried because many of people are using nicotine products to quit smoking conventional cigarettes. And one thing the CDC officials said today was, do not go back to using conventional cigarettes if you're using e-cigs as a way to quit smoking. I think part of the confusion comes from the officials haven't been able to definitively say yet whether it's only with THC products or only with THC and nicotine products or whether it's only with nicotine products. People have used a variety of things, but the evidence seems to be pointing strongly to THC products. Lena Sun, reporter covering health at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The Department of Justice has been involved in the decision to withhold that information from Congress. We do not know because we cannot get an answer to the question about whether the White House is also involved in preventing this information from coming to Congress. Joining us now is Caitlin Oprisco, reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. There has been a whistleblower complaint that triggered a pretty tense showdown between the U.S. intelligence community and Congress. And it involves President Trump's communications with a foreign leader and what people are describing as a promise that he made to this foreign leader. We don't really know all the details, but Caitlin, help us understand what is happening with this. So last week, Adam Schiff, who's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, he filed a subpoena for this whistleblower complaint that was filed with the internal watchdog for the all the U.S. spy agencies. The watchdog received it about a month ago and deemed it to be urgent and credible. And so by law, the the Office of the Director of National Intelligence usually has to submit the whistleblower complaint to Congress within seven days. That didn't happen. And so the watchdog reached out directly to Congress. And now they're kind of like in a tense showdown over the contents of this complaint. And like you said, 
We don't know what's in the complaint. The reporting by the Washington Post says it's about features of the president, centers around his communications with a foreign leader, made in a phone call, and that it, like you said, involved some sort of promise that he made. So the phone calls that the president is having, they're usually monitored by a few different agencies at a time. So this is how somebody was able to maybe hear it. It's unclear if the whistleblower actually heard it directly or uh, gained the knowledge somewhere after that. But the Washington Post had reported that the president did have communications with at least five different foreign leaders in the weeks leading up to when the complaint was filed. And they, they kind of determined that based on, you know, readouts from the White House and other publicly available information. And one of the things that they noted is that he had a phone call with Russian President Vladimir Putin, which has piqued a lot of people's attention that the Russian media reported that phone call first. And then it wasn't until, you know, the end of that day that the White House even confirmed it took place. And this administration has been like kind of murky about readouts of phone calls between Trump and foreign leaders. So there's really no way to know for sure exactly what was said in that phone call. But he's also, I mean, not limited to phone calls. He's met with two or three leaders in the White House since that time, gone to a couple summits where he's met with world leaders. So he's talked to a lot of world leaders in that time, right before when the complaint was filed. The acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, has not wanted to release the contents of what the whistleblower actually said. And this is leading a lot of people, including Adam Schiff, to say that they're just trying to provide cover for the president. One of the things that he said is that this specific complaint isn't subject to the statute, the whistleblower statute, because the subject of the complaint is not within his purview, is not work in his office, and is not like in the intelligence community. And so the general counsel for McGuire argued that makes it out of his purview. And so that's why they went to the Justice Department seeking legal guidance for this. And Adam Schiff said today after his briefing from the inspector general that he has reason to believe that the Justice Department said that they didn't have to turn over the complaint. How has the president responded to this? I know he's sent out a few tweets. He said this is another fake news story. But what else has he mentioned about this? So his tweets this morning were the only comment that he's given on the report so far. Like you said, he called it fake news. He also said that anytime I speak on the phone with a foreign leader, I know that there's, you know, any number of people listening from various agencies. And he said, is anyone dumb enough to believe that I would say something inappropriate with the word that he used? He said on such a potentially heavily, heavily populated call. And then he said, I would do what was right anyway and only good for the USA. So he's shutting down this idea that he would say something inappropriate to a world leader. On a phone call. There's been long, long been concern about the president spilling some type of secrets or anything like that since the beginning of his presidency. So this just seems like another in a long line of that thinking. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of develops over the weekend leading up until Thursday when Joseph McGuire testifies. And that's a closed session to the public. So we won't know specific details, but as usual, little things start leaking out. So we'll, we'll have to wait to see what else comes of this. Caitlin Oprisco, reporter at Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.